This is a disclaimer for you, the listener. This podcast comes with darkness, gruesome, bizarre, and downright weird stories. You've been warned. Welcome to Under the Stairs. Hey, hello. A podcast that is brimming with gruesome true crime events. Oh my god. Paranormal encounters and more weird, wonderful, and bizarre things that the world will bring. Hello, welcome back to Under the Stairs. I hope you are doing extremely well. And today's story is all about two brothers from Oklahoma, yes, it is the Broken Arrow Killings. If you guys haven't heard of this one, then it may or may not have gone under the radar, or shall we say your radar. But today, we are going to talk about this one, and you guys are going to know what happened and what these two disturbing brothers did to their family. Now, me and you, let's get in. To the Broken Arrow Killings. This took place on July the 22nd, 2015 in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And this, my friends, is why it is known as the Broken Arrow killings. On the evening of July the 22nd, two brothers, Robert Beaver, 19, and Michael Beaver, 16, were up in their bedroom on the computer. Their 13-year-old sister, Crystal, came in and told the boys that their mother wanted them downstairs to help with the dishes. Before she left, they told her they wanted to show her something on their computer. Crystal walked up to where Michael was sitting on the chair, and it was then that Robert grabbed her, covered her mouth, and cut her throat. Crystal began screaming, which caused their mother to run upstairs came into the room to see what was wrong. Crystal managed to get away while Robert stabbed his mother over 40 times. Crystal yelled at the rest of her family to hide. She grabbed the cell phone and ran outside, which triggered the house alarm. Unfortunately, Robert and Michael were close behind her. And Michael turned it off. Before Crystal could call 911, she passed out on the lawn, but woke up to Robert dragging her across the lawn back in to the house. 
Once back inside, Michael yelled at his brother that their dad was coming. In Robert's own testimony, this is what happened next. He charged at me like he was going to overpower me. I stabbed him in the chest. Why are you doing this? The father asked, according to Robert's testimony. I said, because I must. And he said, no you don't. Then, he heard his father take his last breath, Robert said. Next, the boys discovered that their two siblings, Christopher, aged seven, and Victoria, aged five, had locked themselves in the first floor bathroom. So Michael devised a plan to get them to open the door. He ran up and pleaded with them to open the door because Robert was trying to kill him too. When Christopher opened the door, Michael kicked it in and Robert killed both children. Last was poor Daniel, aged 12, who had locked himself in his father's office. Thankfully, he had been able to call 911 first. However, Michael was able to pull the same trick on him he got Daniel to open the door by shouting that Robert was going to kill him too. And he looked at Robert and said, All yours. Robert said in his testimony that Daniel pleaded with him and said, Don't kill me, I love you. it still didn't stop him from stabbing his little brother in the stomach nine times. Thankfully, in the commotion, the boys had forgotten about their two-year-old sister, who stayed safely asleep upstairs. In testimony after the murders, the boys admitted that the plan was to cut off her head with an axe. But things fell apart when they divided that the plan had tried to kill Crystal first. When the police arrived, thanks to Daniel's 911 call, no one answered the door, so they kicked the door down. They found Crystal lying in a pool of blood, calling for help. And thankfully, Crystal had survived the vicious attack and they got her to hospital before she could lose any more blood. Both the boys ran out the back door when they heard the police arrive. They were soon caught by the police canine unit hiding in a wooden area behind their house. So we ask, why would these two teenage boys just want to completely wipe out their family? 
Now the boys claimed that their parents isolated them. They were homeschooled and were never allowed to leave the house. They had no friends and never interacted with anyone their age. They also reported that their father physically and mentally abused them. The two brothers would stay up late talking and it was during one of these talks that they discovered they both had secretly wanted to kill their family. From there, the obsession only intensified with each boy fueling each other. Both boys were also obsessed with mass murder, serial killers, combined with the Colorado theater killings. And for me, after reading all this and going through it, it is truly one of the most terrifying cases I've read about. It's almost hard to believe they could just go around merciless killing siblings. Their siblings never did anything to them, so why kill them? And also the boys like to record the killings and when police searched the home after arresting the brothers they discovered cameras Robert and Michael set up to record their murders. They confirmed that the thumb drive had some kind of live footage on it but wasn't specific about what it contained. Robert admitted that his plan was to create two videos. One would show the gory aftermath of the slain, including the bodies, and the other would show only the crime scene without the bodies. He planned to post this later online. According to reports, and interviews, Robert was planning to kill his family since he was 13 years old. And at the time of the killings, he was 18. So you've got to think, did Robert plan this for five years? Did it take him that long to pluck up what all I can say is an absolute disturbing kind of courage to do this? Robert's trial was fairly straightforward. Initially, both boys pleaded not guilty and were tried as adults. But eventually, Robert changed his plea to guilty and accepted life imprisonment without the possibility of parole in September 2016. Because Michael was 16 at the time of the killings, there was some debate over how he should be tried. The court eventually decided to try him as an adult. The defense argued and Michael saw numerous mental health professionals Police mishandled some evidence, which made his trial even more difficult. 
One hard drive that contained evidence was lost. And Crystal's diary, which allegedly contained details of abuse in the household, ended up in the auction house. Several pages were missing from the journal. On May 11th, 2018, jury found Michael guilty and recommended a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Now we're going to look in to a really, really mysterious case which happened back in 1948. Now, it's about a guy who had no ID and his clothing labels were removed when his body was found. On December the 1st in 1948, a body was found on Somerton Beach just south of Adelaide in Australia. The body was that of a man in his 40s. Laying in the sand with his back propped up against the sea wall, his legs were crossed. There were no means of identification for this guy. In what is one of Australia's most enduring mysteries, the Somerton Man, and he has never been identified, and his cause of death is still a complete mystery. Sometimes referred to as the Tam and Sud case, a reference to a cryptic note found on his body. The Somerton Man has puzzled authorities and amateur detectives like us, maybe, for nearly 70 years. All different kind of theories from natural death up to a Soviet spy murder. So, what is the truth about this great unsolved mystery of the Somerton Man? Now, we know that he was found sitting up, resting against a beach wall in Adelaide. December 1948. He was dressed in a suit and tie and with a cigarette placed on his collar. In his pockets were chewing gum, a comb and an unused bus and train ticket. But nothing that could be useful by any means of identification. Beyond that, all of his clothing labels had been removed, suggesting an effort was made to ensure anonymity. And then nobody knows how this guy died. He showed no marks on his body that suggested a struggle. He appeared a relatively fit man in his 40s with particularly muscular legs. With the coroner performing an autopsy, it was determined his cause of death was heart failure. But it was uncertain whether it was due to a natural cause or not. It was concluded 
he was likely poisoned by a fast-acting toxin that left the body quickly. This would be a very rare substance though. But again, it's never been proven. In April of 1949, after months of little to no progress, figuring out who this guy was, a professor from the University of Adelaide examined the body once more. In performing his examination, the professor found something previously overlooked. A small pocket in the man's pants that had a tiny strip of paper bearing the words Taman Sud. Now the words were translated and it meant it has ended. It was another strange clue that further confounded investigators and has led to many conspiracy theories. A mysterious book was found in a car nearby. The paper with the scripted words Tamansud was from a Persian book of poetry. After several months of trying to hunt the book, a man showed up at the Adelaide police station one day. He said a copy was mysteriously dropped in his car. When authorities opened it, they discovered a portion of the last page had been torn out, its void matching that of the scrap found on the man. When the copy of this book was turned into authorities by Alfred Boxel, the page torn out was replaced by what appeared to be some sort of scripture. In the last line of the code were the letters I-T-T-M-T-S-A-M-S-T-G-A-B which some believe means it's time to move South Australia, Mosley Street to Great Alfred Boxall. Mr Boxall himself did not live on Mosley Street, but his girlfriend Jessica Thompson did. The two had served together in the military, and that connection fueled the theory the Somerton man may have been involved in espionage. And for those that don't know what espionage is, it's basically being a spy. So yeah, we won't complicate that word. There was an actual breakthrough in the case in January of 1949, where staff at an Adelaide train station made the connection between media reports of the mysterious man and an unclaimed suitcase that had been resting in their cloakroom since December. Inside the suitcase, police found clothing similar to those Somerton man had been wearing. The dates checked out 
as it had been disposed at the train station the day before the man's body was found. A distinctive yarn of orange barber wax inside the suitcase clenched it. The same orange thread had been used to repair the pocket of the Somerton man's trousers. Police were finally about to solve the mystery. Unfortunately, the contacts of the suitcase were of little help. If anything, what was inside only deepened the mystery. It was mostly the kind of stuff you'd expect in a suitcase. A dressing gown, a pair of trousers, a pair of slippers, underpants and pyjamas, shaving equipment, pencils, envelopes and stamps. More interesting was a knife and scissors, a square of zinc and a stenciling brush of kind used by seamen to mark cargo on a merchant ship. Now another thing that cropped up in this suitcase was a wash bag with the name T. Keen on it. And the authorities went through the whole missing person records and there was absolutely no one missing called T. Keen. With so much speculation around this guy's death, he was buried as an unknown person. But it seems that the Somerton man's grave was not without his observers. For years after his death, flowers appeared at his burial site. Some believe they were left by Jessica Thomas, but that is unconfirmed. Police fought enough of these memorial gestures to stake out the cemetery. However, at one point, questioned a woman who had visited the grave, though she denied knowing the Somerton man. Now you guys can do your own investigation if you want. You could go around the internet, searching around, but like me, I've done quite a bit of digging in this, and I kind of keep hitting dead ends at every possible corner. So, just be careful with what you're looking for. And that is it for this episode. Hey, my beautiful people. It's been, again, entertaining, disturbing, and quite factual. So, have a great week, and I will see you again for another episode very soon. Take it easy, guys.